0: I also did that really classic thing before of being like, I have so much time, I have so much time,
1: I have so much time. <laughs> it's 1.59. Well, I did the classic thing of like, got home with four minutes to spare, got to my front door and then was like, where are my keys? And I left them in the car. <laughs> and so I was like, God, I have to go back. Anyway, it's just... Welcome to Three Wheelings a podcast about making friends in your 30-somethings and a little bit of what we're imbibing. Imbibing, can I use that word in this context? Or, you know... We've used it before, (laughs) we'll use it again. Reading, watching, just cultural experiences that we're enjoying my name is Sasha Kelly I am a Melbourne based podcast producer and I'm joined as always by my Sydney based friend Laurel Henning who is a journalist oh, a journalist. A journalist if you don't want to have offensive French accents I don't think that was even French I think that was just you know pretentious Laurel welcome
0: French or pretentious <laughs> the great debate of our age oh <laughs> uh, thanks Sasha look when it
1: comes to <laughs> When it's the Southern Hemisphere, those two things are much closer than they should yeah, be, I don't think. Yeah, ask
0: me how to talk about croissants anymore. A little bit – a little. <laughs> ah, my French degree co- dies inside every time I ask for one of those
1: because I feel like – I say croissant and everyone goes, oh, and I'm like, I'm, that's not even remotely French sounding. It's just not croissant. Like I just feel oh, see, like I shouldn't really I feel, feel, like, really lean I feel
0: like people here say croissant –
1: yeah. Oh, yeah that's and it. I'm
0: like, yeah. croissant. and and when I first moved here, I was like, absolutely. I refuse. I refuse. I'd study for four years. I won't. I will not. I will not. And now, now I'm fully croissant. I'm fully croissant.
1: But if ever uh, back in Europe, see, it
0: will be croissant.
1: <laughs> croissant. See, I don't even think I say it in that partial way. I think I just, it's just different because my French is terrible. Anytime I try to say anything with a French accent, We're already on a
0: tangent and I think this feeds perfectly into the lovely person who wrote in after our last episode and said, you're so chaotic, never change. I've got no idea when you're going to land in my podcast feed, but I love it. I live for it. And I've had a message recently from a friend who sent me a voicemail being like, when is the next episode happening? That said, you did tell me earlier in the year that it was going to be a little bit more spread out. It's not like you committed to every week and you're not delivering. So to be fair, you told me what to expect. And here I am. So thank you. You've managed my expectations as a listener, but please do another episode. So to those people who appreciate our chaotic energy, we're back. We're happy to be here. Do you know the last time we recorded was on a long weekend? And here we are again on a long weekend. Yeah. The last time we recorded was just before the Easter long weekend. And here we are in June. Things have been happening, but we're here to talk about them. Things
1: have been happening. So on that note, what have you done since we last talked, since Easter, to make friends? I
0: have made a friend, though. You don't have to say
1: everything that you've done, but just No, couple, but I have made I a friend know. since
0: Easter and I'm really excited about it because it was that feeling that I'd had last, probably when I met MVP of the podcast, Heather, at Book Club, of just like, yes, yes this person. Come into my life. um I went to which sounds kind of intense and intimidating, which I really hope wasn't the
1: vibe I gave to this person. But anyway, look, it could be the internal monologue. It just as long as like the external monologue isn't that intense. It is it's usually fine. That's
0: <laughs> what's happening inside. <laughs> o- outside, it's just hey, uh, fancy a coffee? I went to a uh, one of my all time favorite events, as you know, a clothes swap.
1: Oh, you do love a clothes swap.
0: Organized by. Ali Dibley and Joe Gambali, who we mentioned in the previous episode, because they host the podcast Questioning Fashion, which you should all go and listen to, and they organised on behalf of Inner West Council, a clothes swap come workshop about revolutionising your wardrobe and clear outs, repairing your clothes, how to approach clearing out your wardrobe in a more ethical manner. And sustainable manner. So you're not just like dumping bags of clothes at op shops, but maybe taking one item at a time or considering that each item that you're thinking of getting rid of is your responsibility to manage how it goes back into the clothing cycle. Wow. They've also got a whole episode on this recently, which I also really recommend. And we even did slightly counterintuitive to the managing your clothing industry fashion consumption. Mm -hmm, We did a little mm -hmm, trip mm -hmm. to an op shop. Also great. But at this event, this is where I'm getting to, I met a lovely, lovely person and we really hit it off and she'd moved to Sydney maybe seven months ago. She, I mentioned that I was like, oh, how are you finally making friends? And she was looking for ways to make friends. I said, i would made all my friends at book club. She's now coming to book club <gasps> next month. Excellent. She's really excited. We've met for coffee since. I'm in friendship love. I'm having a great time.
1: You are kicking friendship goals.
0: I felt like uh, the theme of our friend-making discussion this month would probably be, I say this month, this episode, let's be more consistent in our output, this episode (laughs) would be I had made a new friend and you had reconnected with some very long-standing friends in your big trip.
1: Yes, that was what I was going to, I was like, I feel like I have two wins. I definitely remember one, which is I've done this big trip to the UK and I saw a whole it was actually a really social trip which kind of took me by surprise I think because so much of my experience in the UK was not social because I worked all the time but thankfully and like really luckily I have lots of mates who have either moved back or were there and we just couldn't see each other because of this giant thing called COVID-19 that you might have heard of. Um, (laughs) Just that casual experience that affected us on a global level. I I think, and we might've talked about this before, Laurel, but I think what the, the one positive or one of the positives that I think has come from the pandemic and has from, has come from everyone collectively having such a traumatic experience on different levels is that there's a shorthand with lots of friendships that I don't think I necessarily had before 2020. And that is that when you have had this experience with so many people, it's completely appropriate to be very honest about how you're feeling or how something felt. Like there's, it's almost like there's no time to waste in going, yeah, yeah, it was fine. I was great. I, I like really dealt with all of my emotion. No one's got time. For no it. one's
0: got time for the I'm fine anymore. Yeah. And
1: so mm-hmm. I think what I found really beautiful and positive is that I had really genuine and heartfelt catch-ups with quite a few people who we had had pretty um, confronting experiences of the pandemic because I think for anyone who doesn't know, I was living – I lived in the UK until July 2020. So I went through a pretty hard lockdown there and there was two friends in particular that I saw a lot of during that time. So, um, yeah, it was – I think three years on and having done a significant amount of therapy to kind of like understand what that was. um, It was really cathartic to have like pretty honest and open conversations with both of them about what that experience was like. And then also just like reconnecting with other friends who were in London. It's really, I know lots of people move countries, move cities, upend their lives, make changes. Anytime you do that, It's a huge emotional, I don't want to say journey because that (laughs) that word's so overused. But, you know, like it is a big Mm. emotional process. And so I think also I'm lucky enough to be back on the other side, like back in the the warm womb of Australia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm in such a weird mood. Um, But, uh, yeah, then to like get to chat to friends who are kind of maybe going through that for the first time or finding bits hard and I don't know. It was a really it's a full-on trip but it was a really joyful one from like a connections perspective I found it a really um positive thing
0: and that shorthand and that honesty I don't think it's cathartic but not necessarily all negative sharing sometimes it is sometimes it is a real I'm not fine I'm actually this way yeah but I also feel like just the honesty and the intimacy of that is a very positive experience, regardless of what someone's sharing. And I think that strengthens all of our relationships and our friendships. And it also means that we can all take care of each other, hopefully, a lot better. But um, yeah, I'm so glad you had that trip. And for the all the intensity of those conversations
1: as you say, the catharsis of it, I think. And positive. sometimes you just want to sit face-to-face. I mean, I know at work – I'm going on a tangent here. What a surprise. Um, but I know at work we've been chatting a lot about the metaverse and, you know, virtual reality and the new goggles and stuff like that. But I, I just don't think there's anything like sitting down face-to-face with someone who you have a relationship with and just having a good old chat mm. just makes you feel yeah. good. So I think, like, I've got these – like – I've got great friends on the other part of the world. We were just talking about this off mic, which is like you leave little bits of your heart all over the world when you've moved around mm. a bit, and it's really nice to go and chat to those people. Yeah, I so believe. So that. So I think yeah. that was yeah positive. Yeah. Ah. Anyway, let's talk about what ah. we're watching and doing and seeing. And let's oh. get
0: into the meat <laughs> of the show. It's a Sunday. I'm sort of roast yes. dinner themed. Let's get let's get into the meat the veg roast, the nut roast, if that's what you're having. Yes. Let's get into. Well, I feel like the meat is going to be what we've been watching because that's really where we're going to settle. But I, but maybe let's save that to the end.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: Let's begin with reading.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I've read a lot lately. I love that.
0: I love that. Tell me more about it.
1: Well, I think I was planning. So we did have a um, failure to launch podcast that I was going to talk about because I think we were going to record just before I left and then it just became too chaotic. Um, And I read Curtis Sittenfeld's romantic comedy. Would love to hear more about this. Yeah. Which I think actually fits in the theme of COVID pandemic, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's a as the name suggests, a romantic comedy set during the pandemic. It's essentially a thinly veiled SNL. I think they even give it a three-letter acronym as well. It's like TML or something, something not far enough removed, but also terribly named. And it's about a female writer on that show and kind of her experiences as working in kind of a a boys club and then um a romance that kind of takes place so you know it's been a month and a bit since I've read it but essentially it's kind of pointing fun of the fact that like all the male writers on SNL end up with these supermodel girlfriends or wives you know the the main example I can think of is Colin Jost who's married to Scarlett Johansson but there's been like you know, I don't want to say hundreds, but like many of the SNL writers have ended up with highly attractive women. And so this is talking about the fact that that rarely happens in reverse. Like when you're a funny woman, men don't necessarily find that as charming, but it's also like a pride and prejudice story of like, she makes assumptions about this very good looking man that are Mm. then proved to be um not necessarily true
0: who are you visualizing as the because he's the musical guest isn't he at some point who are you visualizing as him because I listened to a really lovely discussion of this book on a lovely podcast called diving in which is done by two women in western Australia and they discuss their current reads and stuff and they were talking about it and
1: don't tell me who they thought
0: I won't I won't yeah who do you who did you think
1: I was picturing John Bon Jovi (laughs) Cause it's kind of like the way they talk about his music and it'll be interested to hear what you say. The way I talk about his music is that it's quite um, poppy and it's, it's soft rock and it's like not very cool, but everyone knows it. And so I was imagining John Bon Jovi combined with maybe a singer songwriter in the style of Taylor Swift, because the the reveal as the book goes on is that he actually has a huge like B side or back catalog of like really serious songs that translate really well to I want to put in inverted commas like proper music or like mm-hmm. well-written mm-hmm. music claimed. I'm I'm not sure whether Bon Jovi fits that category as much but I think like in terms of the visuals and in terms of the like the mega hit that's who I was imagining and and the and the kind of like crossover appeal but yeah it I imagine it's an amalgamation of people that's just where my mind settled what do, who did they say well now I'm really surprised that they said who they said, but they said Jack Johnson. Oh no, I can see that. I can because I think like his his um visual isn't as like drawn out as the um as the music is. And and I think Jack Johnson maybe his I don't know enough Jack Johnson music, but that being said, like that really fits with the he's got a whole bunch of music that I've never listened to, but I think everyone can name or sing a few bars to a very famous Jack Johnson song. Yeah,
0: true. But I, yeah. I find this really funny as well. That The the funny woman not necessarily having the same experience of insanely attractive men being attracted to them. Obviously, this is a very heterosexual view of this world. I'd be really interested to know how that pans out <laughs> if you're not straight. And what, yeah, what that imbalance, if there is an imbalance, what that would look like. But I guess it kind of goes to that famous line which I'm going to murder now of Margaret Atwood's which was like men's greatest fear is a woman who laughs at them and women's greatest fear is a man who attacks them. (laughs) So yeah
1: yeah. a man who kills them. Um, (laughs) So I've heard a few criticisms actually you might have been one who told me that a lot of people said that they felt like the end of the book it, it just went like a couple of chapters too far, but I really... I
0: actually haven't heard anything negative about it. I don't think everyone I know who has read it, I have not read it. Everyone I know who has read it has thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it.
1: Yeah, it's just a real romp. A romp! A romp! And I think um, in contrast to Rodham, which is the other book of hers that I've read, mm. it it's really different. I don't think it's... It's not a Sally Rooney experience for me where you read it and you're instantly like, oh, I know who this is like it didn't feel like there was a really strong dna on the expectation of where the book was going to go if that makes sense um yeah yeah and
0: that's interesting to me that she has written this romp as you call it which i love that (laughs) word so much and this light read this romantic comedy you know does what it says on the tin versus the two the two books she did about the parallel lives or the very thinly Mm. veiled lives of women who truly exist so american wife being about Uh, Is it Laura Bush? Yes. I'm going to murder that. Sorry if I got that wrong. And obviously, Hillary Clinton in Rodden. Mm. Um, And then the only other novel that I know that she's written, but she may have written many, 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 many more, is Prep, which is this whole other thing in and of itself, which we read for Bad Women Book Club many years ago. Okay. And I still... I sort of love hate hate love reddit however you describe that can't get that phrase right in my head at the moment gosh I haven't been in front of a microphone in a long time (laughs) but the discussion that I remember having with that book the iconic status that that book has in our book club makes me love it and I have a friend who reads it I think once every year or every couple of years yeah
1: wow so After reading this, I then went on my library um, reservation list and went and reserved American Wife because I haven't read that.
0: And again, very different. So I'd be really interested to know what American Wife is like compared to Rodden, which it's quite similar to. And then what prep is, how you find prep compared to these, what I would put in three books and two other, two -hmm. very different categories.
1: I think the other thing, and I I do want to say this because I think this is why it really hit a nerve for me is that because it's a it it is set during the pandemic and what large sections of it are and i think she really beautifully and accurately in my opinion talked about like the complexities of a lockdown romance and how much is through the written word and through online and how easily that's misconstrued because so much context gets lost when Mm. you're typing versus speaking and so I I had like certain experience with that and it really hit home for me because I found it incredibly accurate. And I was just really glad that my experience was reflected. I think that's like the great part about art is when like your experience is reflected in some way. So I did find that like quite hard to read, but also no hard is the wrong word. It wasn't hard to read. It was just confronting in the best possible way to go like, oh my gosh, this is a universal when we are reduced to communicating in ways that aren't we're not used to or like our society isn't built up for, we are like face to face and over the phone. and um when you're just texting all the time or writing emails, like it changes the nature of your relationships with people. So I just found it like a really beautiful little window in time. I don't know whether you could have i I think this is the earliest that a book like this could have come out. If that makes sense because you kind of hmm. need that distance to be able to reflect anyway I've talked really length at length about that I've read a couple of other books the other only other one I've known is I'm glad my mother died which I would recommend I think a lot has been said about it but I just found it really insightful about child acting and how much of a slog it is if you're not a nepo baby like it's from the perspective of someone whose mum was a real stage mum and she really like did the grind worked up from the bottom
0: and again another one i haven't read but one i've only heard really positive things about so a solid solid recommendation
1: thank you what have you been reading you're always got bringing something good
0: ah oh, thank you friend <laughs> i took a break in the month of the month of may was a real break for me from book club reading in part because i'd got a little ahead or i'm just trying to be because i am now kind of me- part of 3 a little inconsistently, yeah. three different book clubs. I'm trying to pick and choose a bit which books I read so that I also get a little bit of time for my groaning to be read shelf. Yes. So because of both of those reasons, reading ahead and being a little pickier, I just read For Me in May. Yay! And I, in a surprise to absolutely no one, found <laughs> that my... My jam is interweaving narratives. That's where I I love to be. And I Mm -hmm. read three books in very different styles that really fit that Mm -hmm. uh, genre or category. So they were The Overstory by Richard Powers, which is described as a novel about trees and has caused much eye rolling since its publication. I think it won the, I'm going to get this wrong now, I think it was the Pulitzer in 2019. Mm Mm-hmm. I loved it so you're set up with eight characters in the first section of the book which is sort of written as if they were eight short stories and one of those I ran into the kitchen and said to my boyfriend I think this is the best chapter I've read (laughs) of fiction in a really long time I'm I think this is a book I'll reread and I almost never reread and then the second half of the book brings these eight characters together through various themes and events quite closely tied to narratives and theories around climate change Mm -hmm. at moments that's kind of hitting you over the head a little bit but i loved it and honestly i don't think i've ever looked at a tree in in the same way since
1: wow (laughs) walking
0: around appreciating the trees it's revolutionized
1: your vision of nature
0: completely um similarly in terms of interweaving and a bit different cloud cuckoo land anthony door's second uh I think it's his... Maybe it's not his second, but his first novel since All the Light We Cannot See, which did win the Pulitzer Prize. And was a huge success. This is a completely different kind of story. Uh, Again, three, I think, different narratives, very different timelines, connected Mm -hmm. by a fictional ancient text called Cloud Cuckoo Land that brings all of these characters together. Loved it. And finally... Flights by Olga Tokarczuk. I think I'm gonna Mm -hmm. say her surname wrong and I apologize for that. She's a Polish author, beloved in Poland, only really quite recently translated into English and she has written other books, include the books of Jacob and it's something like Plow Over the Bones of My Body or something Mm -hmm. but I can't Mm -hmm. I can't remember the title and I apologize. But again, she does this thing, and I listened to a podcast with her translator, Jennifer Croft. She does this thing of, this is what Jennifer Croft said, and I'm paraphrasing, Mm. but I think it was really accurate, of writing in a way that is of critical acclaim, pretty highbrow, pretty weird format. She calls Flights a constellation novel.
1: Okay.
0: But the way that she is writing is also really approachable. So you can tell that she's playing with format and you can enjoy that side of it, that sort of more cerebral side of the fiction, but you can also, I think it's an accessible read. And in part, I think that's because these short stories that she's playing with on the theme of travel, movement, fleeing and flight, mm, mm. are so short and so concise. It's it, You can approach it like a book of short stories and vignettes rather than this huge work, which should be tight it doesn't need to tie them all together it doesn't need to be neat it's just interesting there were a couple of stories that touched on they were very different characters but there were two mothers who had disappeared at different moments and sort of abandoned their families one took her child with her and the husband didn't know where she'd gone and then we revisit them at a later point in the novel and he's trying to figure out what happened on this holiday where she just disappears on this Croatian island for a while and he can't find her and he's determined she's lying to him. And then there's another one where this woman she just leaves her family. She's she just leaves her family one morning and basically descends into um, the sort of underground homeless community of her city for I think it's maybe three to five days. Wow! And then she goes. She just goes back. She just goes back to her family and riding the metro, yeah. going and sleeping rough. Realising that her, her appearance changes. And then other chapters are just observations of airports as cities and how weird airports are. I just loved it. It was so weird. <laughs> and I appreciate it's not for everyone. But yeah. it was just a lovely time to explore my tastes a bit more and reconnect
1: with yeah. that. I think you're so much braver with your ri- your reading Attempt. I don't want to say attempt, but yeah, you're much braver with your reading than I am. So I always appreciate what you bring. Because <laughs> I think that's really sweet. <laughs> no, when I listen to what you're describing it, I'm like, I just don't know whether I would have like attempted that for as long as But I yeah. think I sound like a bit of a tosser.
0: <laughs> and I and I think some of these I think some of these books sound sorry, I don't know whether this like is offensive language, but I've described them as being quite wanky books. <laughs> like yeah, but... they're quite, they sound very yeah. highbrow in their format, but dig into them and they're very approachable, and there's lots to connect to. I think, like that's what I mean about Olga Tokarczuk, and that's what I mean, especially like Anthony Doerr. The Overstory was probably a little, probably the most challenging. I don't know; they were challenging in different ways, but um, I think all really readable even if the format is unusual and I like to be surprised by format the the first book I read and it still sticks with me that I thought wow I've never read anything that was written like this what is this was the word for woman is wilderness by Abby Andrews which is written it almost feels like it's a real travel diary yeah um, but it's completely fictional and she's using photographs and maps and diary entries and pictures things that you wouldn't expect in that kind of I'm not making it sound as unusual as it is to read but if you go and find it I think you'll understand what i mean. anyway I'm I'm going on now as
1: well (laughs) no I love it and I also love that maybe we just all need to find our inner wankiness or like sometimes the thing that yeah because I'm like that with art like contemporary music or like performance art like I will go see really wild stuff and be quite happy with my experience when other people are like what the hell did I just
0: see? yeah like I would really struggle to listen to a super, like a really really we've talked about some of the music that you've yeah. gone to see where I'm like no I, I just couldn't even begin <laughs> to know where to start with approaching yeah that. I'm the same with visual art I I feel if I go to a very modern contemporary gallery I walk out and I'm like I'm sure I can I'm sure that was good <laughs>
1: I'm sure there was some validity in what I just spent my time with but I don't know why I'm not sure what it is
0: I don't know why and I and I feel very ignorant about that and then I think uh, it's the same with hobbies and things like that Mm. I would love to be a person who sews as you do who does ceramics as you do you're an artistic person as well I read that's kind of all I do it's the thing I enjoy (laughs) and you're right
1: you're right oh bless you (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do, but I do think it's such an interesting – because, yeah, I mean, we can go on a whole tangent about this, but it is at the end of the day, I think. Um, I just always think of that Samantha um, from Sex and the City bit when she's like, my philosophy in relationships is, are you going, huh?" or, oh. And that's what I just feel about art is that, like, when you leave, are you smiling or are you angry and are you, like – And if you're angry, are you like confronted and happy to sit with that feeling or are you just like actually angry that you wasted your time? And that's the validity of it. That's the experience. Therein lies my, (laughs) ends my art lecture for today. We can cut (laughs) some of this down. I'm sure we'll need to.
0: Should we move to listening?
1: Mm. Yeah, look, I'll go fast because I've got like a super quick one. I have not been listening to much That I would say is broad or relaxing, Um, but I've discovered the news agents, which I've been really enjoying, which is my old work, Global, Um, it's Emily Maitlis, who I know from the- What a force of nature. I know, and her voice is just fantastic. And, and, and so it's three, I mean, I'm going to forget the others. I think it's Dominic and Lewis, and I can't remember their last names, which is shameful. Also, for anyone who doesn't know who Emily Maitlis is, she's a very
0: prominent British journalist, former BBC newsreader, left for a more commercial, much more lucrative deal. <laughs> yes,
1: and I think this is her more lucrative deal, so it's basically a daily podcast that comes out and they just talk about British politics and news. And Living Far Away, I, like, just really enjoy – it's more commentary. It's not really news in the sense that um, they just have such big profiles. They really put their hmm. commentary forward now.
0: Yeah, I listen the freedom.
1: Yeah, I listened to a really interesting episode today, though, where they discussed – Um, something that is a real gripe of mine since living in the UK the difference between commentary and news journalism and the importance of language especially when it comes to court reporting and they had a big disagreement and I really enjoyed it. Oh I Um, would love to I
0: I should listen to that very valid for my, um, my own work.
1: The main point was that how you describe someone's struggles so one of them was saying that if you say he struggled to make his point Emily was saying that she feels like that's commentary um and the other one was saying no I feel like that's a valid point of view or I might have got this in reverse and then but then they didn't agree on he was struggling to hold back tears so one of them was like well that's a description of something that happened and Emily's like what if they didn't cry how do you know that they were going to cry? Like you can't say someone's holding back tears when no tears came because you don't know them well enough to know that that's the result of what What would happen. What a great point. And now by
0: putting that in writing, you have influenced the reader's perception of that person. You may have, they may now think they're weak. They may now think they are, or it may be positive. They may think they're in touch with their emotions and that's good or that's really interesting.
1: Super interesting about how they went into their experience of court reporting um, and what they thought was appropriate and what wasn't and they disagreed and I think that that therein lies the complexity but it, they did draw down on that really solid point of like the opening sentence of all factual reporting should be facts and shouldn't be descriptions open for interpretation and I think um, I'm going to sound like a grandma but I do feel that in a lot of news reporting that I read there are lots of descriptive words that significantly influence or paint a picture for me of what happened and use my imagination and i don't think that that is accurate reporting
0: i couldn't i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more sasha and i think in my own experience of court reporting there are times where you want to probably halfway through a story paint a picture of what was happening and there are times where that i think the most i mean i write in quite a corporate for a very corporate audience, for a very corporate news organisation. But I think the most descriptive I would get in that context is to say, in an at times heated exchange this afternoon. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> which which, which I think conveys the point succinctly enough. And you can tell then that probably the barrister was going at the witness or whatever was happening. That's fine. But if I said he was shouting at Mm. the witness or the witness was being sort of uh, reticent or recalcitrant in some manner. That's, I think that's, that's more, that's my opinion then, isn't it? Yeah. But
1: But then also in an, in an era, sorry that I know this is going to be the longest episode that ever existed, but in an era where like unprecedented things are happening in political life, I do feel like there is a line where the journalist should be saying that something's outrageous, and there isn't both sidesism to it, but well
0: that yeah that therein
1: lies the complexity is that like then, if you're letting the small things slide on the smaller reports or in economic reports where it's a numbers based reporting game, then you don't have the same faith from an audience member when there are things that you just need to blatantly point out are like unprecedented or, you yeah, everything can't be unprecedented because then- The
0: use of that word, yeah. <laughs> and I think there are, there are two things happening here at once, which are, and you're right, this is going to be a long and indulgent episode, but yeah. we're allowed in our chaotic it's our
1: world- our podcast.
0: <laughs> is that two things are happening at once in global media. One, the globalization of media mm. and the accessibility of media at all times, from all places. To me, the clearest example of this in modern culture is since the 2008 election of Barack Obama as the president of the United States, I don't think, maybe this was just also my own political consciousness, but I do think that came at a particular time in the social media and internet culture discussion, that the election of a United States president, for understandable reasons, is a global event. And many of us watched that news cycle for... Probably at least a year leading up to the election of the president and will have opinions on it and views on it in a way that 20, 30 years ago, it would have just been the news story on the day of the election. So the proliferation of opinion style reporting is happening alongside the globalization and instantaneous nature of news. And those two things... Have also led to an increase in misinformation.
1: <laughs> yeah, and actually, that was something that they talked about because I think you really hit the nail on the head with the globalization point. There is, they said, when so much of our media is American and they do not have the same rules around contempt of court, and they don't have the same and and they have encouraged this like kind of post-match analysis of um, legal coverage then there is that expectation on when that's your greatest cultural like exporter is the U.S., then the U.K. and Australia do model themselves on the behavior of Americans and yet we don't have the same legal system, we don't have the same rules, we don't, free speech isn't in the Australian constitution so it's like then you have all these people saying like, oh it's my right to free speech, we don't have a right to free speech, like there's so many complexities when you grow up and I don't want to sound like trivialize it, but when you grow up watching American TV like for 90% of your content, then is it any surprise that we make these arguments or have these expectations that have actually like are really disconnected from our actual rules? Mm. Uh, anyway, I don't have the answers. I just found it <laughs> it's just a really I'm just really enjoying it as a podcast to keep up to date with um the UK because I do think, again, like with that global coverage, you just see your country's perspective of things. So it's like a nice little window. And because it's from my old work too, sometimes when they talk about the studio, I'm like, I know exactly where they are. Like I can imagine them all sitting there. Anyway, what are you? What have you been listening to, Laurel? Well, I definitely want to listen to that specific
0: <laughs> episode and you might have just yes. introduced me to a new podcast. Well, I have to say, darling Sasha, that I... please keep listening to our podcast and we've talked about this before (laughs) but (laughs) because I feel like I have been experiencing more and more just sitting on the bus and not listening to my Mm. podcast we were talking in our last episode about putting our headphones in as habit rather than because we actually had anything that we wanted to listen to. And again,
1: please stick with our podcast. No, people like us. They say that we're random and eclectic and they don't know when we're going to turn up. So they are listening to us on purpose because we are Thank not you. a habit. We are a Thank happy surprise.
0: <laughs> That's the name of the episode. Not a habit. We're a happy surprise. Yeah. So I have to say I've been embracing embracing not listening to things. I've gone on a few, gone on a few walks where I've just like in the evening- listening to the evening sounds around me or being bored on the train and just letting your mind wander but (laughs) I also yes have returned to and I and I do feel like this kind of harks back to our previous conversation around podcasts and how our habits of podcast listening has changed have changed I um it was all the way back around that easter weekend i went to a wonderful dinner party gosh again heather getting a second shout out on this episode but she hosted it and mvp again mvp um and at one point we were all talking about podcasts and someone at the dinner table said i love the on being podcast and i said oh my goodness i used to listen to that all of the time a couple of years ago and I have and I stopped listening to it I unfollowed it a while ago I haven't listened to it in probably at least 2 years I would say and I just thought I was kind of in the need of nothing that I was listening to was really drawing me I have sort of two or three habitual podcast channels that mm. I and feeds that I will always stick to but I haven't had anything new for a while that's really grabbed me so I thought I'm going to return to on being see 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 if I can find a recent episode and There was an episode that had come out, it wasn't the latest one, that had come out recently called Hunger for Holiness. And this could be a whole other episode, but I'm on a personal journey with my my faith and how that has changed in the last five years since moving to Australia and my experience of my faith in Australia versus what it was like in Brussels and Europe in what I will say was a much more liberal environment. I have to, from my experience so far in Australia... And how that's been confronting, and how that's uh, changed, yeah, how I experience faith, where my faith even is at the moment, and and yeah, and how I feel about it, and that personal journey. And this hunger for holiness episode was all about this this woman, this theologian's journey from um, one form of faith through a huge journey into another, the idea of like going into the desert of your faith and finding it again. And oh, it's just great. But on being isn't all about religiosity. So if that's putting you off that idea, it's, it's not all about that at all, but it's all about very much what it means to be human. Mm. And to have, and I understand, I understand, but to have a place where religion and faith can be discussed with I think zero judgment and freedom in today's culture is quite unusual and really interesting mm. I, I find and I feel vulnerable even talking about faith I'm like getting <laughs> like hot and sweaty it's it's a hot it's it's a it's a scary topic yeah. to, to open up about and it's not something I'm very open about very often so um which is probably wrong and I just really appreciate how it's handled um, and how the experience of being human and philosophy and spirituality more broadly is handled on this podcast. And then through the On Being podcast, my good friend Erin mentioned that she listens to the Poetry Unbound podcast, which we were talking previously about forms of art and culture that we don't interact with. Poetry, I I did a degree in English literature. I do not interact with poetry on a regular basis. I find it really intimidating. Mm. I don't get it. And this podcast comes out twice a week. It's about 30 minutes long. The poem is read at the top of the podcast. Then the presenter goes into detail about the poem and then he reads it again at the end. And it is, again, the most gorgeous, meditative little thing to be listening to while you're chopping onions preparing dinner. Yeah. And yeah, I would just... It's just been a lovely thing to revisit.
1: I'm definitely gonna check out definitely Poetry Unbound, and I will look at um, On Being because I think yeah, you, you'd love Poetry Unbound because you're a poetry fan. <laughs> I'm a I'm a, a dancing in the the shallow end of the pool of poetry, but I do I do find that with age, gosh, I'm sounding so cliched today. Um, yeah, I just think the older <laughs> I'm getting, the more I'm finding the beauty and the conciseness of poetry um oh I had another tangent that I was going to bring up off the back of that but you know what it's gonna have to wait for another another podcast what are you watching I think we're gonna delve into our watching now so like gird your yeah. loins to quote gird Stanley your loins. and if
0: you have if
1: you <laughs> gird your loins gird your, <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you haven't
1: I've just been listening to the off menu with Stanley Tucci and I like I only got 15 minutes in before we started chatting but like that's going to be my afternoon um, companion to the shops to get some beans and things because gosh if someone's going to put you in the mood to do some cooking it's going to be Stanley Tucci. The (laughs) Tucci. Yes.
0: Um The (laughs) Tucci. (laughs) <laughs> well i think it's good that we put this at the end because we're going to be discussing some landmark oh, finale yeah. that you have just been having yeah because there have been and many If you haven't watched the end of succession if you haven't watched the end of ted lasso if you haven't watched the end of the marvelous mrs Maisel, switch off now it's been great to have you see you next time we don't know when it'll be but bye <laughs>
1: Not a habit, a happy surprise. We'll see you next time. Um, Okay, which one? Well, I really, I'll cover Mrs. Maisel first because you don't watch that.
0: Yeah, so why don't you just go into that?
1: I just loved it. That's basically it. That's the opening sentence of my thesis and the end. I've been a fan of the show for a long time, but I just, and and. I think in like the – I can't remember whether we're in season five, season four or season five, um, but I felt around season three, like that midway mark, it was getting a bit repetitive. Like the same thing kind of kept happening. But this whole premise of this final season has been it opened with where she ends because the premise of the show is it's a young woman who decide, who gets divorced very suddenly against her wishes. Her husband leaves her. And to support herself, she decides to become a comedian – tenuous because that would obviously be very stressful but she is genuinely hilarious and that's kind of the commentary Is her husband always wanted to be the funny star and she's the real secret star and like by him leaving her gives her the permission to kind of take center stage I felt like it got stuck a bit in the weeds in the middle seasons and I was talking to my parents who also watched it and they said they kind of gave up because they went oh it's kind of they were writing the same thing over and over again but the whole premise of the show is will she make it will she ever find success the whole opening of the um this final season was a this is your life of her in like 40 years time of the fact that she has made it um and they do like a bit of a reflection package and so they start the season with you have the knowledge now that this is going to be her break like Mm. at some point in the next 10 episodes 12 episodes it's finally going to happen. And then as the season progresses, it always opens the episode with something from the future or something when she's like 60, 70, 80. So there's like a big toast, you know, a surprise kind of guest function where she appears and um, her relationship with someone, which has been really tense. Shifts, and so it's this kind of flash forward, flashback thing. And I, I cannot remember the last time. Like it's not a perfect show in the sense that I did feel like those middle seasons got a bit saggy, but this final season, I can't remember the last time I finished feeling so happy and so satisfied and genuinely emotional, and at the same time, like, oh, I wish they'd done more, and I wish I wanted to spend more time with them, and I wanted to see what happened and also like there's a central there's a couple of central like will they won't they romances which I think is kind of true of life is that there's always like the sliding door moments of like it could have worked out if the timing was different or we hadn't said those things to each other or this hadn't happened just because of the way that the world works um opportunities choosing one thing over the other um there's quite a few of those during the show as well where you're like oh oh I really liked them together I wish that would have happened and because you've started the series with this this is where she is you know that that most or all of them don't work out um and so I felt like it was a really realistic portrayal of like although heightened and emotional, a really realistic portrayal of what would probably happen to a woman who did find artistic success um, on the silver screen at that point. But yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant show and I'm going to really miss it. And I really mm. loved it. So... The marvellous Mrs Mays. Yes. We wish you and farewell. They in the final, like it's almost the final scene when they call her... The- I think I've seen this scene
0: on um twitter yeah when it's they call her the marvelous
1: mrs maisel for the first time because i've always introduced her as mrs maisel um but it's the first time that that acronym like that that combination of words is said and i just started crying (laughs) and i feel like everyone i've talked to who's like watched the show is like if you get to that scene and you're not like in floods of tears because you suddenly like she is marvelous like you're just like crying so anyway i just i was so excited anyway therein ends my thesis on that show i think
0: i think we should go next to the one we're gonna probably disagree on which i think yeah right and fi- let's finish on a high yeah. of both loving something
1: okay ted lasso, ted lasso do you want to do you want to take the opening argument? I don't know. <laughs> I'll take the opening sure. because I I think I I really
0: enjoyed the finale and in the end, the season as a whole, as you said about The Mrs. Maisel, it had issues. It, <laughs> it took a long time to get going. I would say at least four episodes to get going. I don't think the writing was as good across the season. Um, It was baggy in a way that it probably didn't need to be but (laughs) there were crucial episodes that I think were perfect I loved the episode that was in Amsterdam because having listened to the podcast episode that Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt did with Brene Brown a few years ago Mm. on the creation of Ted Lasso I knew that that had a story like that basically happened especially the crazy night that brendan hunt's character has um that led to the creation of the show Mm, and mm -hmm. so it was great to see amsterdam feature i loved that i loved the development of roy kent and jamie tart's friendship is truly the most adorable beautiful thing Mm. i i loved that in the season and the fact that the triangle of keely jamie and roy wasn't a love triangle in the end it was a friendship triangle and yes they tried to make it a love triangle but her like you're being ridiculous i'm not i'm it's i'm not choosing between the two of you shut up don't don't be stupid and that was unusual and good to see I personally did not want Ted and Rebecca to be endgame. That didn't make sense to me, given he'd been sleeping with her best friend. It was more that they had a solid friendship. And the fact that we saw a series explore the romance of friendship or not even the romance of friendship, but explore a true, deep friendship developed between the two of them, two characters which did not understand or get each other at all in the first season to get to the point at the end where when she's crying in that airport, when he's leaving, those were genuine tears. I really believe that. And that was very moving to me. Even the creation and exploration more of like Leslie's character. Mm. First season, he was completely peripheral, but he becomes this like great jazz musician who takes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the really random,
1: But I liked. I that. loved
0: that. But I loved it so much, and I think that's the thing about Ted Lasso is it was always about it. Ex- it was always about exploring and celebrating the people that we become and leaving room for all of us to grow, and have positive journeys, and particularly in that vein, male friendship, what it means to be a man, you don't see that anywhere on TV, the, uh, the, what am I trying to say? The audacity of building a show that is purely joyful, hopeful, and happy, and doesn't have anything really awful, dark, troubling, really, in it at all, is an act of, is a kind, is, is like an, I'm trying to say, I can't find the phrase, but it's an act of rebellion in today's culture to be able to create, create something successful that doesn't have to be dark.
1: Yeah, that's just happy. It's just happy because it is, yeah.
0: Defiantly joyful in the same way and for the same reason that I loved uh, Sarah Winman's book, Still Life. Mm. It is so rare to find pieces of culture that are just defiantly joyful in today's culture. And that's why this was good. That's my opening.
1: I agree with everything that you said there. I think for me, it was the fact that I, all of those things were true. I felt like they suffered from the fact that they tried to put other stuff in. And I wanted to spend more time with, there was enough. There was enough with what they had already presented. And we got too many B roll kind of storylines that I just felt took away from my enjoyment of those really great things that I think all of the things you just said there's a couple of examples, but the one that springs to mind is like Keeley's PR company. Yeah. And and the Yeah, and the relationship with the boss. And I just thought Yeah. Um and there was like this whole bit where Rebecca's like, Oh, do you think she's love bombing you? And I went, Oh okay, we're gonna go off into this space of like Manipulation being aware of manipulation and love bombing and then and then it kind of just seemed to end like that whole fleshing out part to me just didn't really make as much sense as what I I I thought we were going to spend the time with and I think in direct contrast to that where it's like you have this amazing chemistry between Keely, Roy and Jamie and the fact that we did end up with this end game of like she doesn't Choose either of them, and then it was a friendship all along. And it's like, why there were so many more beats that could have been explored in that, where I felt like I just felt shortchanged by the fact that I was like, I, I guess like it it felt underdeveloped to me this final c- series, and and the other one, and I think as well like it felt like they wanted to explore more things than they had the actual physical space to do and in doing so ended up kind of doing everything but nothing. I'm sounding overly critical there but I think like just in the way that Nate's character. I think I know what you mean though. Yeah yeah, Nate's character it was so clearly set up at the last uh, end of last season season two to have this real like he became the villain and you had like this whole villain origin story and I just felt like that I really loved following where he went this season because I thought for the most part it was completely accurate you did really love Nate and you did really feel like it was a victim of circumstances that he'd ended up in this position against Ted like he wasn't really a villain he'd just been misunderstood and they hadn't communicated and then for it to kind of for him to come back into the fold without any exploration of like how do you actually forgive someone how do you have that conversation? You don't, it just to me, it was like he wrote a really long letter, he fell in love, she helped him see that life wasn't, but it was like a lot of the actual stuff I wanted to see happened off camera. And I felt kind of disappointed that it became, that it was resolved without really I got to spend any time with it. Cause I was rooting for him. And then at the end, I was like, ah. Oh, there were several moments this season where I rewound to see or watch the end of the previous episode. Cause I was like, I must have missed something. Like something has happened and I've missed it. And that happened too many times for me to then, for them, for me to go like, Oh no, I haven't missed anything. They've just decided that that action happened off screen. It just confused me. I, yeah.
0: I understand what you're saying. I'm going to respectfully disagree <laughs> on Nate's on Nate coming back into the fold because I think as much as this is a show about exploring feelings and emotions I think that work was done in um, Coach Beard going to his house in the story of Coach Beard and Ted's relationship the fact that second chances are given and should be given and are given freely and without question by Ted that's his character and the point was he's giving you that chance I have to forgive you. This is my story. He gave me this chance, but if we give you this chance, don't mess it up. Basically, you have to come back and you have to forgive yourself and you have to uh just just move forward. Sometimes you just have to move forward and that's that's the act. That's the recognition at the same time that moment where he says sorry to Ted, that vulnerability and the crying, that the way he oh, the yeah. emotion in that scene I think that is, that's the, that's, that's the work. That's what you're seeing there.
1: Yeah. I just, I I definitely remember rewinding and I rewatched Beard's scene and I was like, oh, okay. So that's where this has come from. Cause it was like, I felt like I'd missed something and maybe I, I did like in the sense I wasn't concentrating in the show. But
0: Ted's, Ted's scene with Beard as well. That scene with Beard where he's like, wouldn't it be nice if people were just given- second chances that's the crucial bit not even not even coach beard's conversation with Nate it's the him watching the cctv and being like and you know what happens next and you know this like he's watched that so many times all the way through he's 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 reconciled himself to that situation and all season coach beard has been like you you're not angry enough you haven't gone into this enough no ted's done that already on his own and and I think he's,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just think there was too much. <laughs> it was almost like my attention was so split and I was trying to keep track of so many things and I was like, oh, I, ju- I just, and I, I, I'd I, be really curious to see if a, there was a massive change in the writing stuff between last season and this season because I did feel like, mm. I agree, I don't think Ted and Rebecca should have ended up together and I was really happy with the result of the characters but I did feel like it was a shift in where they were pushing us like I felt like there was a lot set up at the end of last season to make us feel like that was going to happen and I feel like maybe this is me being too much of a tv nerd but there was too much that was intentional for it to just be a like a misdirect it felt very much like, like, the cha- like, like there was yeah, a change. Yeah, they were
0: baiting the people. The leader of the ship. They were baiting the people online that had had that discussion. They'd listened to that discussion. They'd written it in, but yeah, not Yeah, the-
1: I just felt like someone in charge of the ship last year was going, yeah, I reckon they'll end up together. And then there was a change of the guard and someone went, no. And the other person who took over went, no, that's definitely not. Because it just felt like to me like, uh okay, cool, we're going somewhere different. But at the end of it, I was really happy with where it all wrapped up and I definitely agree, like, I still watched it. Like, I still invested time and energy into it. It just wasn't – it It wasn't a perfect end to the TV show in the way that I'd um, started with it. But, yeah, we can we can comfortably agree to disagree. We're agreeing to disagree. <laughs> but let's agree on something, succession –
0: Let's agree. We are running so far over and I've got to say, uh, my head's starting to melt. Yeah, I don't even know what I think about
1: Succession anymore. I feel,
0: yeah, I feel like all I have to say is this is a perfect show. It deserves every award (laughs) and every actor in it should be awarded all the awards, even if it's just for Sarah Snook's face acting. gosh, she's extraordinary. She is perfect. Um, Yeah, Matthew McFadden, (gasps) an icon for our times. And... This is a
1: truly perfect piece of television, long may it rain. (laughs) I think what it pointed out to me, a couple of things. Firstly, does Matthew McFadden ever age? Because he looks exactly the same now as he did in Pride and Prejudice and that was in 2005 and yet he looked 40 in that? Like I'm confused, like is he the kind of man who was born at 35? Maybe. And he's just going to perennially look like a middle-aged man, a bit like Paul Rudd, where you're just like, but why have you always looked and like a father? Alonso,
0: <laughs> Formula One driver hasn't aged in like the last twenty years. It's so
1: weird. It's so strange. Anyway, so that was my first thought. The second is that I love this show in that Tom, my old classmate in the UK too, also was a massive Roman and Jerry fan because
0: oh as you know I am yeah I stand that relationship yeah because he in a was completely like completely
1: inappropriate manner he was like oh I know it's weird but I really I really came around to both of them during that and I'm like it's it's just such a like the most surprising people in my life like really got behind those two and I'm now using it as like a oh, okay you're one of those people not as a judgment. <laughs> Just it's fascinating to me who watches that show yeah. and goes like, yeah, that's real love, isn't it? And he's like, no. Uh,
0: no, not at all. But I found it hot. <laughs> like there was something about it that was hot and I know uh, I shouldn't have found so it hot, weird. but I
1: did. It's so weird. Anyway, yeah. and then um, the other thing is that like I am a perennial optimist. This is what this show taught me is that Oh, I... yeah, this
0: was interesting to me. I couldn't
1: believe this, yeah. Really? That I still watched- and, and afterwards listening to all the podcasts and they're like it's a tragedy it's a tragedy it's a tragedy and I was like I still started that last episode in the hope that it would I would be happy with the outcome and it I think I'm starting to realize that I am the common denominator not the piece of art that I watch. But surely at halfway through when
0: everything seemed like they were on the same page did you not No, at that point, you were like, oh, this is going to go horribly,
1: wrong. I knew a shoe was going to drop, but I didn't think they would all lose, if that makes sense. Like, I just felt that... Did they, though? Interesting question. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I thought that Kendall would definitely always be the loser. I didn't know whether it was going to be that Kendall would be betrayed or all of the kids would be betrayed. And I was, I think I was still... I wasn't surprised though because it made sense but I think I was still surprised at myself for being surprised that Tom was the eventual eventual winner and I think also I would have been more surprised if um it's Lucas right who's the Alexander Skarsgård character Lucas Matson yeah Lucas Matson I almost felt like all of them would lose. So the fact that Tom actually came out the winner was also surprising to me because I felt like there was going to be like some kind of um, like 11th hour shoes going to drop, which did happen. But it surprised me that the WOM scans or however you say his name, was the successor at the end of the day. And I felt like that was such a, I mean, that's going to be a criticism that's leveled at so many corporate um average mediocre suits forever more, isn't it? If you're a Tom Womscans, mm. you're gonna be like, Oh gosh, that's a lot that's like I mean, the worst thing to be is probably a can Ken- one of the Roy kids, but like still You it's are not, not a
0: serious you're not serious people
1: <laughs> <laughs> And chasing it for the glory and the um and to feel good about yourself rather than like actually anything. Mm. Oh.
0: I thought your um evergreen optimism I thought you were going to talk about the scene between Kendall and Roman with his stitches
1: (gasps) yes also totally miss that maybe it's me maybe I can't watch TV properly anymore but I didn't realize that was um so sinister I thought it was that I knew that Kendall has a a problem um expressing emotions. So I thought it was some kind of deep thing of like this was a rare moment of them actually connecting as siblings and that in the same way that when you're a kid and you don't really understand that like a puppy can't be squeezed, like you mm. just don't have that appropriate mm. response to things. I thought it was like in this moment of grief, he's hurting his brother and not understanding that he's squeezing that, the puppy. He's squeezing the puppy, he's not understanding. And and because also Roman's reaction true raw grief in so many times has been like fuck fucking hell I hate like it hasn't been like thanks for hugging me he like at the funeral he just started losing it and like berating himself and so I didn't necessarily twig that he was swearing because he was in pain I thought he was swearing because he was showing grief and like I just thought it was like a really weird moment between the brothers and that it was actually like Kendall was causing physical pain to Roman totally bypassed me.
0: And I've had that, yeah, so confirmed through listening to the podcast link yeah. to the show that that is what was happening. But I loved the fact that in our household when we were watching it, we had two different interpretations. Yeah. When my interpretation was Roman was doing it to himself from his previous behavior.
1: Yeah, being so um, um like yeah. like self-sabotaging
0: self-sabotaging because he'd been looking he'd been looking at himself and being like oh maybe I don't look so bad hey maybe I can do this maybe I can do it maybe I can't but knowing himself knowing that he would crumble he self-sabotages because he can't face up to that level of responsibility so that he doesn't have to look in the eye the fact that it could have been him which is why he finds it so difficult when Jerry comes in because if he had continued on that road she could she's right she could have got him there
1: yeah because at every point he's self-sabotaged he fired her he's gone out on the street and got himself beaten up he's yeah. like retreated or like at every moment his father asked him a hard question he couldn't tell him what he actually believed he always backed yeah. down
0: yeah and then the alternate and the fact that sitting on the same sofa then my boyfriend's like oh i think kendall's ow, why is he doing that kendall's kendall's doing that to roman and then we both said oh that's really interesting what an amazing scene that in itself i i felt like there were about three different interpretations of that scene and that's why this show is perfect
1: (laughs) but yeah i think that like let's leave it there (laughs) because i could talk about it for days so there we go it's a perfect show it is a perfect show right well laurel where can people find us where can the people send us more messages about how sporadic and chaotic and chaotic we are you can slide into our dms
0: we are at Pod on instagram you can also email us threewheelingpod you can. at gmail.com you can you can, you can slide to. into our dms maybe also why not leave us a review on the podcast <gasps> yeah. app of your choice and tell other people about the chaotic energy that we bring into your podcast feed because that would be lovely.
1: Thank you. It would. It would. Until next, until the next time we chat. Who knows when it'll be, but it'll Who be knows? a fun time. But we'll be there. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.